welcome to another episode of Girl Boss Radio from Panoply. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder of NastyGal.com, the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Girl Boss, and the author of Nasty Galaxy, a beautiful book that you can pre-order now at NastyGal.com slash book or anywhere books are sold. On this podcast, I interview different women who inspire me, who've achieved something that I find interesting. It's an excuse for me to learn things and for me to share them with you. To stay in touch with all things Girl Boss, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Girl Boss. You can sign up for our newsletter, Girl Boss Diary, by going to girlboss.com. And you can follow me, Sophia Amoruso, on Snapchat, Instagram, and Twitter. You guys, I hope Girl Boss Radio helps you to achieve your goals or at the very least provides some amount of inspiration. So help us achieve our goals. If you like this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes and share your love on social media. Today's guest is angel investor and advisor Sarah Christensen. But first, Liz Carey's back on the show. You can find the Liz Carey on Instagram. And we're trying to get her Twitter, but currently it's just Instagram. I might Twitter today. <laughs> we'll be talking about the highs and lows of our week, our girl boss moments, and of course, your girl boss moments, Liz. Hi. Oh okay. my God. Long time no see. Oh my God. You and I together. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We had a girl boss moment yesterday. Let's just get straight into Let's it. Let's just get straight into it. So, well. Make sure your AAA card is on you. We had a little friend tiff, and then we Oh, fixed, yeah, we did. <laughs> we started the day fixing that. We fixed that. Girl boss moment was open lines of communication within uh-huh. friendships. Uh-huh. And then we were like, let's eat boy- hard-boiled eggs and go get coffee. And so we did Let's that. have a therapeutic talk over eggs. Oh, God. And then basically cruised around all day, got Manny Petties. Yeah. And then we were in my vintage Mercedes- <laughs> At Whole Foods. It was so Just to get hot. sandwiches. We just wanted sandwiches. We get there. The car's been driving. I drove it to Malibu the day before. That car is yeah. fine. Parked it in the Whole Foods parking lot. And I'd like to preface this and say we're aware of how ridiculous and privileged this sounds. Our vintage Mercedes breaks down in the parking lot at Whole Foods. Right. So try oh. and stay with us. <laughs> Boo-hoo-hoo. I know. <laughs> well, um, it was really hot. It was really my hot. My left arm is sunburned. <laughs> Second AAA experience. So, yeah, I know, right? Oh, my God. I thought, because first time you got a flat what tire. Like I got a flat tire in, like, my new car. Yeah, and I called for her, but I didn't have my card on me. So I went through the exciting, riveting conversation on one bar with AAA about trying to find Elizabeth Carey in their deck of Elizabeth Carey's. There's a ton. So this one got some help, but yeah. it was amazing. Three hours there? I don't know. Two or three hours we were there. We I got a beer. Called AAA. We couldn't drive the thing, so we got a beer and cracked it open outside, and some lady came over. <laughs> this lady comes out. Sophia's like talking to the tow truck guy shows up, and she goes, ma'am, ma'am, I need to know. Is that is that a beer you're drinking out of a paper bag? I looked at her like, so wrongfully, how dare you? How dare you? I go, this is a kombucha I am trying to keep cold. Uh-huh. Like as if she had the audacity to ask oh my me. God. It's clearly And a- the lady who sold it to you was eating her lunch. Like, <laughs> behind me right laughing. Behind you like snickering. <laughs> she we was we nice. asked her if she would open it for us. She was nice. At the check stand. She and then was. Sophia sat down with our brand new beer and immediately pours it into oh her lap. Or poured like the half the thing out like on myself. It was really like the worst. And then I got chased by a giant beetle. Oh my God, the beetle. Those like loud ones that buzz. What are those? Would you guys? June bug? I don't know. Ew, it was a oh really intense day. Anyway, what else? Join us in our parking lot. Uh, yeah, a couple of dumb misadventures. So that's that was our Sunday. That was yesterday. Sunday fun day. So I guess, yeah, that was probably my girl boss moment this week. Yeah, we had a friend fight, we, guys. We had a shared girl boss moment. Yeah. <laughs> friend fight, friend fight, friend fight. We hugged it out. Every once in a while it happens. You know? 
Yeah. My moment is I tend to sit on those things. And then two months down the road, somebody really? will, yeah, I usually will sit on them for a little bit and then somebody will do something like not as bad as what actually happened. And then I'll completely melt down over, you know, oh. you got me an almond latte. I hate uh, you. Yeah, I just try to fix. I just like fixing. <laughs> so it was good. Um, I'm like my friend's in pain. I can fix it. Ah. I'm going to go do that. Moments? Moments. Moments. All right. So each week you guys tweet. And Instagram in your girl boss moments. So use hashtag girl boss moment and you write about the time of your week where you felt like you were in charge of your life, where you were really in control. And it could be something as simple as taking care of yourself or it could have something to do with your career. Mm-hmm. But it's taking a moment to... Um, it could be calling AAA. It could be calling AAA. <laughs> the sad one. So Caitlin Owens... Says, uh, helped teach photojournalism to high school students last week. And I think I inspired at least one student to pursue photojournalism. Girl boss moment. That's pretty good. That's really good. Ashley Hernandez at underscore Ash. I received an email today stating I have potential to do great things in PR based on the work I have done lately. Hmm. That's great. That's, That's hard work. Nicole at Nicole Zabub. No. Yeah, Nicole Zabub. Finally putting the pen to paper and writing my books after listening to Girl Boss Guests Motivating Stories and Advice. Yeah, That's writing good. books. Amazing. That's so hard. That's so cool. And so hard. Nikki Karimapur says, that's a doctor underscore Nikki underscore K. Listening to Girlboss Radio. <laughs> almost forgot to mention my huge Girlboss moment earning my PhD. That's insane. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. A, that's a lot. She needs a shout out, please. You are way too educated to be listening to this podcast. You got your shout out. Just though. kidding. Um, oh, oh, Kayla, oh. Kayla. That's a good one. I was just going to read her. Okay, go for it. Okay, because it's exciting to me. At Kayla, Karina. Yeah, at yep. Kayla Karina. Girl boss moment. Today I am officially CC debt free. That means credit card. I know what that credit means. Credit card debt free. Man, are you credit card debt free? I am credit card debt free because Amex forces you to be credit card debt free. You have to pay that bill every month. Oh, oh yeah, that's good. Yeah, but whoa, that is good because I used to be credit card not debt free. Mm-hmm. That's not fun. Way to go, Kayla. Oh, Mandy Nicole at Tenacious Mandy says divorce is not always a step <gasps> backward. Today I dropped my married name. Now I am just myself. Oh, I got chills. Been there, girl. That is not fun, but also you got a whole new lease on life. I know. Way to make lemonade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Ashley Bozeman at AK Bozeman. Okay, I'm down on this. Bought and assembled a new coffee table today all by myself. It's actually a really good job because I was in my garage the other day trying to have a yard sale. It's a great feeling. It's When you do something like that, you're like, Thank you. Look at what I just did. Hi. It's it's good. It's good. Those are good ones. That's I like that you guys are building tables and not bubble baths this week. Um, yeah. What's what else? <laughs> Powerhouse Montana. This week's girl boss moment for me is turning in my board application for the YWCA. Woo woo, get it, girl. But really, please pick me. What girl, ha- girl with laugh says? <laughs> girl with that laugh. That's really funny. That's a yeah. good. That's a good handle. Very excited to be on my first panel next Thursday at She Says Chicago with Who's Your Mama Mentor event. So cool. We're looking at a photo of you right now, girl, with that laugh. And we like your your handle. I like your black and white. Wait, what's this? Did you read this one? Who's the big girl now? Priscilla Adad? 
Who's the big girl now? So proud of my little sis at Adad Cecilia. Sorry if I'm saying your last name wrong. Who just graduated from number one fashion school, University of Arts London. Hi. Okay. Oh. That's a good one. You and lived in London. You know what that is. I should know that. Um, yeah. That's a really big deal. Congratulations. We got some smart ass listeners this week. And finally, uh, Eileen Casmano said, Thailand, I'm ready for you. JFK, DXB, BKK. Hashtag girl boss moment. I don't know. I'd, I'd go to Thailand and call that my girl boss moment. <gasps> have you been there? No, have you? I've, it's so good. Oh and they, s- you know what they sell on the side of the road? Um, bananas, chicken Did skewers. I make that up. Pad Thai Whoa! chicken everywhere. You would love it. We should go Whoa. there. I might have a Mexico handle for us, by the way, this weekend. A what? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay. Um, So those are good moments. They were good moments. Thank you guys for participating. We really do like the interaction. Thanks for making a mess with me. Always. Um, Bye. Okay. You guys, let's get to the interview. Our next guest, Sarah Christensen, has experienced all sides of the business world in 2000. Before being an entrepreneur was hip, Sarah co-founded Liquiteria, the first micro-press juicery in New York City, and predicted the rise of the juice craze. The small East Village shop had customers like Russell Simmons and Christy Turlington lining up around the block and earned her a segment on the Today Show. After starting a successful brand herself, Sarah wanted to help others grow their businesses, so she became an angel investor and venture capitalist working for Bob Pittman, the founder of MTV, and his venture capital firm. Most recently, Sarah has served as the managing director of the Raptor Group, where she invested in companies like Uber, Airbnb, Snapchat, Spotify, and more. Okay, so she's a smart woman. She's someone that um, that I am lucky to call a friend. Okay, Sarah, how are you? <laughs> Thanks are for you? being here. Thanks for having me. It's like I've, I don't know, I just love talking to you, so this is just an excuse to... To hang out. To hang out, yeah. Thanks. So what I ask all of our guests on this podcast, the first thing that I usually ask is what your first job was and not necessarily like career job, just like what job did you have in high school just because I think it's so interesting. My first job in high school was at age 15, folding pants at Pants Place Plus. Pants Place Pants Place Plus. Um, were they big <laughs> pants or were they was just a, like great pants? It was like plus, like I don't know, it was above Z- the average Well, pant. first of all, it was like 87 and it was Z Cavaricci. So you tell me how great that was. But, that mm. was, um, but it was at this mall in this town. I mean, I grew up in Lexington, Massachusetts, and that's, you know, out there. And there was this town next door, Burlington, which was really just known for this mall which later became famous when they filmed Mall Cop there. Oh, wow. Yeah. But at 15, that was like my independence. You know, my mom was like, if you want to work at the mall, you figure it out. So mm-hmm. there was a short bus called the Express, which basically took all the old people to Burlington. <laughs> Amazing. You know, that couldn't get there, there themselves. And, yeah, I'd get on that bus, and I'd just go fold pants, and I thought it was awesome. What was so cool about the mall? Oh, to me, it was just freedom. Like all of a sudden, I, first of all, I felt very grown up. I would get dressed <laughs> up to go fold pants at pants. Well, you know, they gave you the clipboard. I mean, really, you were just folding and it was like, I'm going to fold the nicest stacks of pants. Yeah. Um, which sounds kind of crazy, but I think there was something about 
you know, you can't drive, you live at home, there's only so much babysitting you can do, and you're really not feeling super independent when you're doing that. But for me, getting on that bus, going up to this mall and having a job where there were grown-ups and people came to shop and transactions were made, mm-hmm. I thought it was cool. Very grown-up. Um, <laughs> and you, so after college, you went to Denmark. Yes, and did you go to be close to your family? Because I know you're from Denmark. Yeah, born in Denmark, got here when I was six. And so, you know, I always had aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents there. And it was just my parents, my brother, and I in the U.S. Yeah, I went I went back legitimately to be close to my family for a year. I thought, you know what, let me go do like the uh, so nice. international experience. But I fell in love with it. I mean, I just fell in love with being in Denmark. So one year turned to four. And, uh, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know that I would have come. No, I would have come back eventually, but my, my mom put her foot down after four years. She's mm-hmm. like, get on a plane, mm-hmm. get a job on this side of the pond. Yeah. Yeah. What did you do in Denmark? So I started like, off. What was your first job out of college? Well, my first job out of college, I was a marketing girl. And back then, this is going to date me, but it was print. TV, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> radio, and billboard. And we were just getting into like special events and product placement. So exciting times. What ended up happening was I, I went over to this media company, which at the time was called Chili Group. And it was the largest media house geared at youth, 13 to 25. And they had TV and radio and print and they did special events. And you know, being a marketing coordinator, they're like, great, we need you to tell us everything about 13 to 25-year-olds that you can. So my job was basically to work with Gallup and the Institute of Future Studies, which is essentially trend forecasting, and just do consumer insights. And Was that uh, fun? Did you just tweak out on it? Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's that. so much great technology today that would have probably either eliminated my job or at least made my job a lot easier. <laughs> um, it was just spreadsheet on spreadsheet, but it was so much fun because back then, pre really handhelds or certainly we were just getting cell phones and they couldn't do anything but, you know, call home when you were in trouble <laughs> um, or call a cab when you needed one. Everyone was buying stuff. Like people were still buying CDs and going to the movies and going places. Going places. They yeah. didn't have their heads down on the phone all day. Yeah. Oh, yeah, with the Pokemon. Oh, what my God. Is that? Oh, my God. What is that? Oh, my God. Make it stop. Um, <laughs> and then I know you worked in publicity with Nadine Johnson. And yeah. I love the story about how you got that job. Oh, boy. Well, yeah. I So I've always loved reading media. And I, I mean, I'm still a sucker for paper. You know, mm-hmm. glossy pages. Love to turn them. Um, and I would read like I mean, I kid you not, probably when I say somewhere between 30 and 40 magazines a month, anything I can get my hands on, I just, I love it. So anyway, as I said, my mom pretty much said, you know, put her foot down, said, you've been gone four years. If you want to be my daughter, get back to the U.S. (laughs) So I got back to the U.S. I landed in New York, I believe it was a Tuesday, and um, checked into the Paramount Hotel, which I think is still there in the Times Square. Mm -hmm. And... uh, I really had no idea what I was going to do, but I'd read all these magazines on the way over and every event kept saying, you know, hosted by PR powerhouse, Nadine Johnson. Mm-hmm. And I was like, who is this woman? So um, Wednesday, I printed out my resume at the hotel. I looked her up in the white pages. I went and knocked on her door. She lived in a brownstone downtown. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I think I would have been arrested today if I did that. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Um 
But someone was kind enough to take it and hand it to her. I interviewed on a Thursday. I got the job Friday, started Monday. Oh, my God. I didn't have a place to live, but I didn't care. What was your job? Well, I guess at that point, you're just really an account assistant or account associate. And, you know, the cool thing about Nadine was she was really, I mean, she'd been there. She'd been doing it since the 70s and and at the time was married to Richard Johnson, the famous Richard Johnson of page six. Mm -hmm. So they had the the dynamic duo here. But she had sophisticated clients like Ian Traeger and Andre Balazs and Armani and Versace and, um, you know. the Fancy. Yeah, fancy. And Mm -hmm. the art world, Larry Gagosian, you know. So – it was a very quick education into a window of New York, sort of. I'm you know. sure. What I didn't realize for the first three months was that my nickname behind my back was Sandy D. Because, one, I literally <laughs> wore a headband every day. I had a blonde bob. And I had no clue what was going on. I mean, I learned. Uh-huh. But the first three months, I mean, I was just wide-eyed. Uh-huh. Wide-eyed. Yeah. I, like, wanna, I still want to be wide-eyed. <laughs> So you worked for Nadine. Yes. And then you became an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, and I just think, you know, we've had entrepreneurs on the show. We've had women who've worked for really large companies. We've had authors. And um, I just think there's a special interest in in starting your own company today. And you did it long By before accident. it was a trend, you know, a trendy <laughs> thing to do. Can you talk about your experience as an yeah, entrepreneur? Sure. and? Well, it's funny because I actually come from a family of entrepreneurs and I didn't, that never really came into thought or I never took it into account. The fact that both grandparents, you know, were entrepreneurs. My dad was an entrepreneur. I didn't really think about it, uh, I think until later in life when people ask you to reflect on this stuff. But the way that I kind of fell into it was I had, like I said, moved to New York. I found this little place in the East Village so I could walk to work at Nadine's. <laughs> I quickly realized that PR was not going to be where I wanted to make my mark, but I spent a good six months there and I learned as much as I could. That said, I'd moved into this little apartment on 2nd Avenue and 11th Street, and it had this dingy smoothie bar with delicious juices and, and smoothies in there. But it was like this little hole in the wall. And and I would go in there every single day. And um, and the owner one day was, you know, he asked me, aren't you the marketing girl that moved in upstairs? And mm-hmm. I said, yeah, you know, he's cute. <laughs> That's <laughs> literally what I thought first. Um, and he said, look, I have an idea. I just don't know how to execute on it. You know, could, could we sit down and talk about it? And which, which we did. And his idea was he wanted to start a place with all organic liquid living, teas, tonics, juices, smoothies, mm. soups. And the idea was there. The name was there. He had, you know, he decided the name was going to be Liquiteria. And I think he just needed help organizing all his thoughts. And, and that's where I came into play, which was, okay, well, let's, figure out the look feel of of what this space is going to be and and everything from branding and menu creation to getting the back office in what are our sales documents going to look like what's a training manual going to look like and we mm-hmm. literally built this little business which got really well primed and grew really fast and really big and so from you know 2000 to 2003 we didn't have a website we didn't really have delivery to start we certainly weren't doing juice cleanses and I'm still not a fan of that I think mm-hmm. I'm allowed to say that online but I think I think you are yeah, look, I'm all about juice and supplementing, like, you know, it into your daily diet, but you got to chew stuff. Like, yeah, totally. You, you got to chew. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, so, so we built out this little juice business and it was awesome. And, and, you know, we ended up having this line out the door and, and that was a really and great experience. That was experience. when? That was, what year was that? Two, 2000, but really the sign went up, Liquiteria sign went up 2001, even though the smoothie bar had been there, um, you know, a couple of years before. But the sign went up, it was 2001, 2002, 2003, I was there. 
And I loved it. And so what did you do to get, you know, hype around it and people excited about it? How did you spread the word? Well, that's kind of the crazy thing is that we built a place that we wanted to go to ourselves. Like Mm -hmm. if we were going to hang out in this place, what would this look like? And we wanted it to stimulate all the senses. So it had to look good and smell good and you had to hear the sounds and, you know, you should be able to touch, you know, the fruits and the vegetables. And we just pre Jamba juice. This, well, ironically, Jamba juice at the time was called juice club. There was juice club, but you got to remember they were doing smoothies and everything had sherbet in it. And so Uh we didn't do frozen yogurt, sherbet, all that crap for us. We were hand selecting the organic produce. We're washing it down. We're chopping it up. We're freezing it. So we didn't even put ice in because that would adulterate the drink. Wow. And. But, you know, the way that we really wanted to approach it was, you know, we both love sushi. We'd go sit at a sushi bar and we said, God, these guys take such pride in the way that they mm-hmm. prepare it and, the way get, and how clean they keep these counters. That's what we wanted our juice bar to look like. So instead of walking into your regular juice and smoothie bar, which is usually pretty grimy and sticky and the mm-hmm. knives are everywhere, mm-hmm. we had our juice crafters literally wipe down everything that they used and flush out the machines in between every single juice. Wow. So, you know, it was it was pretty great. And that's so I guess when you say how do we spread the word? We didn't really have Instagram back then. We didn't have Twitter mm-hmm, back then. We mm-hmm. didn't even have Facebook back then. So really the way it was was create a place that's so great that people keep coming back and keep bringing their friends. And you know, we had a couple I guess, you know, high profile celebrities that would come in and that brought in their friends. So whether it was, you know, Russell Simmons would come in every day or at the time from the Today Show, Ian Curry would come in every day, who eventually got us on the Today Show or Mm -hmm. Martha Stewart would come in or Christy Turlington. I mean, these are people who were pretty progressive in their health and took an interest. That's awesome. Yeah. Was that terrifying, the publicity piece, like being on like the Today Show? No, well, so the great thing was I was not the face of it. That was always Doug. He was, I mean, he was like a JFK Jr. lookalike. So okay. that just, the, the camera liked him. Usually the girl interviewers really liked him. So that was great. I was the <laughs> operator. I was behind the scenes. So, um, yeah. you know, like I said, running the office and having to jump in the store whenever you needed it and helping to build the teams. But um, he would do the shows. I would usually write the content, <laughs> say this, mm-hmm. wink. No, I'm just kidding. Smile. <laughs> just kidding. No, he was great. He was really great. And to his credit, um, he grew up in a super progressive household. He had a mother who was super into yoga and into juicing wow. from, you know, early 60s, 70s. And so he he was like the real deal. So I think people kind of felt that Jamba Juice was never the real deal. No. Sorry, Jamba Juice. I hate to say it, but it Sorry, wasn't. Jamba. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't advertise mm. on the podcast. Um, so when did it end? Why, you know, how long did that go on for? Why did you leave Liquiteria? So after this wonderful day on the Today Show, um, where I think we had about six minutes with Katie Couric. Wow. Yeah, it was a big segment. They did it outside in this beautiful, you know, juicing garden they'd made. And... um I, you know, we got home that day and there was like, I, I can't even count the amount of calls of people who were saying, can we franchise? Can we mail order? Can we invest? And I wanted to grow the business. At this point, I said, hey, you know, let's run with this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think my partner was thinking, well, we're sitting on a gold mine. Let's not screw with it. 
And my thought was, well, keyword is sitting. I want to mm-hmm. run. Mm-hmm. And I made the decision to leave. And, um, and it was totally amicable. I said, you know, keep the apartment, which now had become like headquarters. Mm-hmm. And I, I walked. And, you know, it's something that I look back at. I think I can't regret walking, but at 26, I just didn't know what was mine rightfully ip wise i'd never gotten the right documentation set mm-hmm. I, i'd never had any true ownership in it even though my fingerprints are all over it mm-hmm. i just um and that's something that lives with me and that i think propelled me into what i do today and why it's so important for me to to really back entrepreneurs and make sure they know their worth so you met bob pittman yes who founded mtv yes tell me about that he's incredible I mean, there's, you know, there's so much to tell about Bob. I had the lucky, I mean, truly lucky fortune to be sitting in the right place at the right time where I I was literally in the reception area of an office in the lipstick building, Uh (laughs) the lipstick building on Madison Avenue. And this guy walks in and he asks this random question. Does anybody know the difference between natural and organic? And if so, can you tell me? And this was 2003. Mm Mm-hmm. And we just happened to be sitting next to each other. I'm like, what do you want to know? Because mm-hmm. at this point, I'd been breathing it, living it, yeah. sleeping it, you yeah. know, for the past three years. But on top of that, coming from Denmark, you know, I'd always had a very holistic background. So we just started a conversation. And this guy said, well, can we continue this outside the office where we went across the street and basically took six pages of notes. And I just started talking about what I thought the future was going to look like. And that was pulling a little bit on the trend forecasting skills yeah. and the consumer insights. And also just having been, you know, in a, in a juice business for three years. And, and I knew we were getting into a time where there was a store called Whole Foods that was going to change the way that we shopped mm-hmm. and the way that we looked at products and thought about what we were putting in our mouths and our bodies. And, and he thought it was interesting enough. They said, can you, come to dinner, there's someone I want you to meet. And so I show up at dinner and there's Bob Pittman, you know, somebody who I'd studied in college. And mm-hmm. yes, he found MTV, but he also built these great brands, which at the time, you know, Six Flags theme parks and Century 21 real estate. And wow. Just been co-CEO of AOL. And, you know, that didn't end too well, the merger with mm-hmm. Time Warner. But so he had stepped away from that. But here's a guy who had built like multi, you know, international brands all in unrelated categories. And I thought, God, he either has to be like the best communicator, you know, on the planet mm-hmm. or the best marketing mind, maybe both. Anyway, it started a conversation and he just, I think he thought that I was interesting because I knew a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> really. And at the time he was looking to start uh, an investment fund, if you will. He and some friends were putting some money together. It was called Pilot Group. And they wanted to go out, ironically at the time, and find the next Burt's Bees. Burt's Bees had just Mm. been discovered and Mm -hmm. was sort of the first organic company to get a cash injection. And he said, you know, how do we find something like that? And I ran, ironically, Roxanne, who who ran Burt's Bees, used to come into the juice bar. So, Mm. you know, there were a lot of names that I was familiar with. And and that's how that started. He said, great, let's go find brands and invest in. And what would you do? Did you cold call them? Yes, cold call. I mean, literally my first day at work, I had a laptop and I had a phone. And I think I had a white pages because we still had white yeah. pages at the time. Those <laughs> were nice. They were smaller. <laughs> yeah, they were smaller, more compact. And, you know, it, it was kind of a combination. I still love just going into brick and mortars and just seeing what people are buying and putting in their basket and why they like mm-hmm. stuff. And then you just study the 
you know, like the Nielsen numbers and whatever else. And, and you just you kind of start figuring, read the newspaper, read the magazines. You start mm-hmm. saying what's moving in what direction. So he told me to pick 25 or, you know, what brands I, I believed in. And, uh, and I did. And that was sort of my first cold calling and trying to get these people who weren't raising money at the time. They thought I was nuts, but mm-hmm. trying to get them to come to our office and talk to us about letting us invest. Yeah, that's great. I remember when that started happening with Nasty Gal, I was like, who are you? What are you calling? This is very flattering. But um, yeah, they were trying to figure out like how big the business was. And they're like, oh, well, it's not big enough yet. And I'm like, well, all right. I'm not going to call you when it is. (laughs) I don't know. It's such a funny process, that whole like romancing. And um, and this is the investment firm that you just left. Yes. I started working with Raptor in 2009. Uh, in 2010 on a consultant basis. And I had several investors that I was working with. And uh, Jim Pilata, who owns the Raptor Group, was one of my clients and somehow started taking up 50, 60, 80, 90% of my time. And so technically became full-time in 2011 and have been with Raptor all the way up until this year, June 1st. Mm -hmm. That's a big deal. It is a big deal. So you guys invested in, you've invested in over 150 companies. Tell us some of the companies that you've invested in. Oh, I mean, there's the wonderful thing is that we get to play in a lot of different categories. So we invest in consumer products, technology, media, sports. So everything from the Boston Celtics uh-huh. to Uber to Blue Bottle Coffee to tons of little SaaS and enterprise businesses and 3D printing Spotify, and Spotify. Yeah, there's some big ones in there. Twitter? Although those, to be totally technically correct, came through acquisition. So we would invest in small companies that they would acquire oh, and wow. we took it for stock. Still smart. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You're, yeah. Just, there yeah. Was no you're part of the food chain. So <laughs> yeah. either way, you still was, qualify as smart. And it's lucky because it was really early. It was really, you know, Airbnb super early. Um, wow. So that, that's been – there are some big ones in there. So what do you look for in entrepreneurs? Do you go for the underdogs? You know, so I can't help it. I mean, I got a sweet spot, you know, or uh-huh. so I should say a soft spot rather, a soft and sweet spot for them. But, you know, there, there are different things you can look for. First of all, there's got to be chemistry between the two people because at the end of the day, you're kind of getting into bed together. Mm-hmm. So um, they're clearly going to be certain investors that function better with certain entrepreneurs. But besides the chemistry and that aside, I would say most often you look for the experience. Do they have the experience? Have they done it before? Can they do it again type of thing? But I really think at the end of the day, you got to look at the discipline, you got to look at the drive. And my big key is honesty. If I think that somebody's honest, and that means being able to talk about their challenges and not just boast about their wins, because so many times when you do an update call, they want to tell you all the great things we're doing. And Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, well, if you're doing it great, that's great. I want to talk about the challenges and where I can help you. So yeah, I think, I think honesty really is, is, the most important thing in any relationship, if yeah. you want to get into that. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and I know we've talked about the importance in investing in female-founded businesses. Oh, yeah. And I know that's kind of a personal passion of yours. How did that become a priority for you? You know, it started coming. I think my story changed for me while I was at the pilot group. One, because I started in investing being the odd man out to you start. You've worked with a ton of dudes. 
All dudes. <laughs> All yeah. dudes. Um, and I, you know, back then I would envy this camaraderie that they had. You know, the guys would get together once a week for the partners meeting and they would be laughing and clapping on backs. And <laughs> I remember just thinking like, God, I just want to be one of the guys. And you kind of start putting your hair back in a ponytail and wearing a suit and not wearing makeup and talking different. Mm-hmm. And just till I could get to the table. And then I got to the table. And the minute you're at the table, you're like, wait, I don't want to be a dude. I want to be a woman. <laughs> like, that's my value add, right? I mean, is that – and not just when we're looking at lingerie companies and baby food companies. Oh. You know, it's not just, hey, let's see what Sarah thinks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so I think really at that point, it, it started happening at Pilot Group where I noticed, wow, I want to be known for being the woman in the room, not just being one of the guys. And so started embracing that. And that carried on when I left Pilot Group and started with Raptor. I noticed, so first of all, the guy who I was working for, he was very involved with Big Brother, Big Sister. And he actually, he also funds a whole grade of girls at an all-girls school, inner city school in Boston every three years. And he sees them through. Oh, my gosh. And these girls, you know, and he and I kind of bonded on that and started talking about the importance of really helping girls out because they don't usually get the upper hand anyway. Mm -hmm. And that's really where it started it started becoming important. And then when I started realizing that you can make a difference, I think was, you know, we had this recession and oh, we've had many recessions, but <laughs> I think about this last recession, really 2008, 2009, I believe recession breeds innovation. The last time we saw real category makers, game changers came out of that. After that, there's a lot of me twos. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times a week you hear like, we're the Warby Parker of, or oh we're God. the Uber of. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. 28 meal delivery companies in 18 months, Aww. which is tough because you so want much. them. It's a lot of me twos. So, Anyway, in that time out of that recession, all of a sudden you start seeing like really different thinking and a lot of female founders started coming out of that Mm. time too. And I don't know whether that was recession driven or if it just happened coincidentally. I think when, you know, when the things that you trust are pulled out from under you, you're kind of forced to invent. And if that happens with the economy, if that happens in a relationship, if that happens anywhere in your life, it's, um, you know, it can be a really positive thing. Yeah. It was an interesting time, and the more women that I felt, you know, walked into the room, and there would basically be, like, the founder, me, and 10 guys, you start thinking, like, I'm on her side. You know, I want her to feel comfortable here, and I don't want her to feel intimidated. And, you know, the interesting thing, at least of being Raptor Group, which I loved because Jim and I were on the same page, was if you were a woman, like, you already had a point. Like, let's fit, you know, we, mm-hmm. it's it's um, it's yours to lose at this point. But we, we want to invest in more women. It's really important. Mm-hmm. It's what, 6% of all venture capital goes to women or something insane like that? I think I took like 5% of it. By <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thank well you. Done. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, the numbers are staggering and unfortunate. And I think, you know, I this gets brought up at a lot of different conferences and when I sit on different panels, and it's a hard one to answer. And, you know, one of the things that, that I have to address is, you know, out of like the last 100 female founders I've met, I would say safely 75% are coming with fashion, beauty, shopping, some sort of commerce, Mm -hmm. mommy and me, or like food and beverage. And that's, by the way, these are products that I love and they'll always be there, but it's really congested for women. Mm -hmm. And so I think, 
you know, where you look at where the money is being spent right now in AR and VR and AI and, you know, um, big data, all these different areas where there really are so few women. You kind of, if you want money, you kind of got to go where the money is. Mm-hmm. That's a hard thing to say, but it, 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 this stems into like getting girls more excited about mm-hmm. technology way earlier. Well, you did say STEM. STEM. <laughs> 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 oh my God. Good one. So what is next for you? You're you're still consulting with the Raptor Group. Yes. Yeah. Um, Those are my babies. What are you excited about? It's got to be so freeing because I know, I mean, we took a trip when you were just about to kind of like write the email to all of your colleagues saying that, you know, after a long while at the Raptor Group, I'm moving on, but I'm still here kind of. What has that been like that? It must be, you know, we talk a lot about work on this podcast. And then there's the other side of our life, right, which is also really important. Yeah. Um, how has that been? Oh, well, I feel like I'm not quite out of the trenches yet because mm-hmm. you're wrapping up, you know, uh, Jim Hohn's Raptor Group. I mean, he was an investor when I was at Pilot Group since 2006. So I feel like I've actually technically been working with him for 10 years. Wow. Um, so there's a lot of relationship history that you kind of got to tie up nicely with a bow and make sure that everything's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, you know, with all the investments that we have, clearly not all 150, you know, are, are ones that I work on, but a good number of them are. And so I'm not abandoning anything i will i will be there to make sure to see those through but Mm -hmm. what's great about having you know officially resigned is that i now get to well first of all having i've been an angel investor for the last gosh i guess eight years um and currently have still 10 investments that are live that sounds weird. Live. Live. They're, live. Still like They're still alive. Like in the Petri sizzling. dish. Like what yeah. are they doing? They're sizzling. <laughs> no, but the fun part is now I get to do more of that. I get to do more of that without the conflict of interest of the companies that exist in mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Raptor portfolio. And it also allows me to take board seats and advisor seats, which I wasn't able to do before. Mm-hmm. I love it so much, and it makes me so happy to be in that environment. Um, so that's that I will continue to do. Not that I'm saying that I'm not going to work, but I think the great part about the next couple of months is being exploratory, getting to spend time with people who inspire me, who I like being around, like you, talking about, you you know, people are doing really cool shit. And that, you know, if I can help with and be a part of in any way I want to be. So what advice would you have to someone who wants to pitch a venture capitalist, you know, to someone who's listening, who or just any kind of investor? Advice for asking for what you want. Well, there, there's a couple things. One is be very, very clear in your message. One of the hardest things is when I ask somebody, you know, send me your one-line description of your business. And, like, I get this paragraph and a link to their media kit or, like, <laughs> a link to their website. And I'm thinking, no, you have to be able to tell me uh-huh. exactly what your business is in one line. And they think they're line. overachieving. And you're like, no, no, no. Yeah. And, and they, they kind of lose you at that. So, so have an incredibly clear message about what your product is. Understand the model. Does it have a financial model to really back it? And is it scalable? Mm-hmm. Um, any investor is going to look at it. I hate to say and say, okay, does this make sense? And yeah. can you make money? Yeah. I totally. mean, especially if you're investing other people's money. You can't build a business on hope. <laughs> no, you really can't. Goodwill. Goodwill. Um, but, uh, no, but so two entrepreneurs, I think it's being very clear about your product, understanding your financial model. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the worst things is when you're talking to a founder and you're asking them questions about the model and they're like, let me get my financial person on the phone. I might be that person. Yeah, it's a good, good exercise to learn some of that language. Mm-hmm. 
It'll make you stronger. And it'll give you less stress. No, I know the lane. Yeah, I think it's just numbers are always changing. Anyway. And uh, it's kind of a killer to be a me too. I mean, mm-hmm. I have to say, to come in and say that you're the, like I said, Uber of, Warby Parker of, or the mm-hmm. Casper of, or we're the nasty gal of. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... Which I know has happened. Been there, done that. Other people have done it. And, you know, unless you have a real differentiator, in which case you wouldn't actually be saying, you know, I'm a so-and-so. I, that, totally. that's, that's a killer. Was there one that got away? Oh, yeah, there have been a couple. Really? Yeah. Can you say who? This would go back to my pilot days where, you know, I was I was tasked with finding the brands that would be um, in the natural and organic space. What did I think the next brands were going to be? This is 2003, 2004. So of my cold calls, some of those that came in, we got a little company called Seventh Generation, mm. a guy named Jeffrey Hollander. Wow. Got Tom Chapel from Tom's of Maine. Mm-hmm. You know, Did I you think, invest in this? No. So oh. all misses. Oh. And there was kind of like the, well, it's organic, so it's not going to work as well as the real deal. Or why would someone spend twice as much on this when I can get fantastic for one ninety nine? Or what's worse, this tastes like shit. No one will ever drink it. Well, mm-hmm. $200 million later, <laughs> a lot of people <laughs> drinking it. Um, so there, that was a big I, – I, there were just miss after miss there. But, you know, the fun part about it was I did get to cold call these people, and some of them are still very close contacts uh, that, you know, I care about and follow up with. So you that's, get free toothpaste once in a while? No, I no. don't. He <laughs> sold to Colgate. He sold to Colgate for a very nice wow. number. So that was that was wow. good. But, but yeah, so those those are definitely some misses. If you could power brunch with any woman, who would it be? Oh, well, I actually have to tell you, there's one woman who is incredibly special to me, and I don't get to see her enough at all. And I would take her, I think, probably over. Her name is Charlotte Beers. Hmm. Charlotte Beers was featured, was the first woman ever featured on the cover of Fortune magazine as the most powerful woman in America, and that was 1993. Wow. Now, the irony is when I went to college in 1992, my parents got me Newsweek and Fortune and sent me these magazines. Clearly, that's why I love magazines because they just thought she's not reading her book. She'll read magazines. Yeah, they're awesome. And uh, cut to the fact that I I saw this cover. I had this cover and I never thought about it again after 1993. So uh, two years ago, I'm sitting at a dinner and a woman named Charlotte Beer shows up and I realize, holy crap, it's that woman. That lady from the magazine. And she was um, she was a CEO chairwoman of Ogilvy. Uh, oh, wow. She was the only woman in the room. I mean, she's like the original mad woman, if you will. And uh, I remember her big coined the phrase brand stewardship. I mean, literally taught mm. people to stop selling products, start selling brands. And she's been on the board of everything from Gulfstream and Amex and Sears. And, you know, she was the one who was known for wow. disassembling and putting together like a hand drill in front of all the board guys at Sears to be like, if I can do it, you should be able to do it. Wow. So she she's a hot shit. She's badass. Cool. Okay, this is something I ask all of our guests. Yes. And so we have something called Girl Boss Moments on the podcast, which is the time of your week where you felt like you were in charge of your life, where you were in control. It could be personal. It could be professional. Doing something for you that makes you feel like you're living your life deliberately. What did you do in the last week that we consider your girl boss moment? I mean, there's one thing that I do every week, and this is going to sound horrible because it's finance-based. But it's really, I love it. but it's become, it's become important to me. So I think a couple of things to understand. I did not understand finance growing up. I mean, first of all, I had two 
super liberal, half-socialist parents from Denmark. So, like, we don't even have a credit system there. So no one ever taught me about, like, saving money because the state takes care of you, you know. Yeah. So it wasn't – I just – I never understood the importance of saving, and it didn't happen until I hit 30. And I remember hitting 30 and having a conversation with a girlfriend who was like, oh, I'm going to, you know, buy my apartment. I was like, with what? She's mm-hmm. like, you know, with money that I saved up, and I have a 401K plan. I'm like, what's that? So – um, I'm 42 now, so it was really just about uh, maybe I was 32. I'm lying because it's just coming up on 10 years, I think. You're still 32, and you just learned to save. It's cool. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, but 32. No, thank you. Exactly. No, 42 now. But that that was really the first moment where it's like I gotta get my shit in order. Like I better have an IRA. I better have a 401k if I can. Um, I want to be putting away X amount every month. And that's totally changed my life. So, like, once a week, I log on and I go in and I check my stuff. And mm-hmm. I just, you know, this past year, I bought my own home. I wow. totally renovated it. I, you know, and that felt pretty freaking awesome. That's so cool. You know, and yeah. that's kind of, look, it's later than some of my friends. But, you know, it took me 10 years to really do where I wanted to be and what I wanted to get done. And so I think, you know, in terms of personal fine, and now it's different, you know, now I'm like, okay, when can I retire? Look at this. Look at this. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm <looking>. tired. <laughs> but it's, you know, I'm past that tipping point. I'm at the tipping point where like, okay, this, this feels good. It looks good. And now I'm excited about it rather than dreading every time I'm going yeah. on looking at it thinking, totally. oh, boy. Yeah. In my book, I say money looks better in the bank than on your feet. Yes, and there's something really gratifying about logging in and just seeing what you've done by taking care of yourself and your finances and living within your means. Totally doable. It's exciting. Yeah, it's exciting. So I think that's that, cool. that might be my that's girl That's a good girl boss moment. moment. Yeah, I think so. Sarah, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me this on the podcast. Really fun. I really like hanging with cool. you here. Me too. All right, that was another episode of Girl Boss Radio. We'll be back next week with Susie Batiz, the founder and CEO of Poo-Pourri. You guys, I'm so excited. Our producer is Sharon Morris. Thank you also to Emily Rubin and Kristen Meinzer, Laura Mayer, and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And thanks to the band Phases for our theme song and to Joel Jarrett-DeGraff for our interstitial jam. I'm Sophia Amoruso. I'll talk to you next week. 